what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Edmo Show. Instead of calling it the Bible series, we're going to call this Bible Real Talk. And the reason why we're doing that is because if you guys haven't heard uh, season one when I started doing the um, the Bible series, I said like the whole purpose of this was not to be preachy, um, but to read the Bible page by page and see where the Bible actually aligns in our everyday life. See what lessons we can learn because like I said, uh when I grew up in church, you know, I heard the same stories over and over and over again. I never really took the time to read page by page some stories. I've, you know, the church has probably glossed over. Uh other ones you probably never even heard about or at least explained. So in this uh Bible real talk, we're just going to be reading it word for word. You know, um, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to, you know, proselytize or anything like that to anybody. We're just going to be uh, just exploring this whole thing. Um, I've definitely learned a lot. Um, even though we're still in Genesis for uh, season two, uh, we have, well, I have been really learning a lot. I've been looking to other sources. I've been... Uh, you know, like um, uh, Rabbi Manus Friedman, uh, Dr. Vadi Bachman, um, Dennis Prager, of course, because we are going to be using his book today, uh, like any other day when we do this. But uh, this is going to be some real talk, going to be some real discussions going on. Uh, so today, since we haven't done this thing in a while, uh, just to recap, we did chapters 28 through 29, where we talked about um, Isaac and his children uh, Jacob and Esau and how <laughs> Jacob pretty much tricked both his father and his brother. And now Jacob is pretty much running for his life. And he had um, this trippy dream, as many of us know, as Jacob's ladder, uh, where he gets to see the angels. He's in the presence of God. And he pretty much declares that God is his God now. Um, as you see in the Bible, like, just because you're born into a religious family or just because your parents believe something doesn't necessarily mean that you believe it or necessarily means that, uh, that you accept it. And there's so many people like that. Um, you know, me, I'm of the mind where you teach your children um, your faith. However, it's on them. You know, uh, David pretty much said that, like, uh, don't bask off of your own parents' relationship with God or or whatever, uh, you you got to take the time out to learn it for yourself. And that's pretty much what I'm doing here. So just to recap, uh, we are going to be using the Tree of Life Messianic Jewish Bible. Hold on. Uh, the Tree of Life version Messianic Jewish Family Bible. And the reason why I'm using that Bible is because uh, like the King James Version, I'm not really a fan of. It's a lot of Old English, and a lot of it has been mistranslated. A lot of it, uh, you know, has words that don't, that have the wrong meaning put in places. And after doing some research, uh, I wanted to pick a Bible that doesn't copy the, uh, the, King James Version, while they do reference it, you know, but um, they're going off of the actual Jewish text. You know, they are researching it. They had a team of like experts. They had a team of scientists, linguists, 
all types of other stuff. They had rabbis, they had Christian scholars, they had a, a slew of people working on this Bible just to get you the most accurate version possible. Now, you don't have to be a Christian just like, uh, or a Jew or anything like that. You know, just like Dennis Prager says in his book, this is for everybody. So what are we going to be covering today? We are going to be covering chapter 29 through 30. And this, and we're going to start off on chapter 29. And this is probably by far, so far, I should say, because like I said, I haven't read through the whole thing myself. I know specific so certain stories. But this is by far one of my favorite stories because it is probably the most realist story in the whole Bible. And you're going to see why. It's a lot of drama. It's a lot of detail. So we're only covering two chapters today because it's a lot. And I'm going to be reading through uh, Dennis Prager's book at the same time just to give some inferences, give some more clarification because Dennis Prager is way smarter than I am. And he's been doing this for longer than I've been thought about. So I'm going to turn to an expert. And, but I'm also going to be giving my own commentary on the, uh, on the actual chapter. Um, you know, I'm going to be asking some questions because these are probably things that I'm, com I'm confused about, things that don't make sense to me. And we're just going to move on from there. So I'm going to start reading chapter 29, Jacob Loves Rachel. Then Jacob lifted up his feet and went to the land of the people of the east. When he looked, suddenly there was a well in the field, and there was three herds of, she of sheep resting by it. From, for from that, they would water the flocks. The stone on the mouth was very large. Uh, when all the herds gathered there, they would roll away the stone from the mouth of the well and water the flock and put the stone back to its place over the mouth of the well. Now, Dennis Prager writes in his book that wells are pretty much like a local hookup spot, you know, like a like a local pub, local bar, you know, a, a social um, a social meetup spot. Um, and plus, like you got to think that this is the Middle East. Uh, it's it's you know, it's pretty dry. It's pretty hot. You know, so water is definitely a popular place. And also, this echoes um, where his mother was actually discovered by his grandfather's servant. But also, as Dennis Prager writes, it also foreshadows Moses. Now, Moses is in Exodus. We haven't gotten there yet, but I'm just going to add that little tidbit. Um, and one thing I've noticed is there's a, in the Bible, just from reading from chapter one to now, there's a lot of foreshadowing. There's a lot of things that may seem interesting or maybe at the time seem insignificant, but will, you'll probably end up hearing it again. That's one thing that I found interesting about the Bible. Everything keeps repeating itself in one way, shape, or form, or there's a characteristic of something that repeats. So Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? Uh, and then the guys say, we're from Haran. So he said to them, do you know Laban, Nahar son? And they said, we know. He said to them, is he well? Well, they said, look, uh, here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the flock. And this is the first time we ever really hear of a woman, a woman taking charge of being a shepherd. You know, uh, every time we hear of a shepherd, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a man. So this is the first time we hear of a woman being a shepherd. 
Now, granted, Rebecca, you know, she she brought her um, she brought, you know, her flock and and also the stuff and the servant uh, helped water them. But uh, as you're going to see uh, in a little bit, they actually refer to Rachel as a shepherdess. So he said, since it's still in the middle of the day, is it not time for the livestock to be gathered, uh, water the flock and let them uh, and let them go and graze? But they said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we water the flocks. Interesting point is, you know, Jacob seems a little bit, uh, a little bit assertive uh, in this. And we're going to see even more. While he was still speaking to them, Rachel came with the flock that belonged to her father, for she was a shepherdess, like I said before. Kind of jumped the gun there. Now, Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob stepped forward and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Then Jacob told Rachel that he was, there, that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Now, when Laban heard of the news, Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, hugged and kissed him, and brought him to the house. Then he told Laban all the things. Now, interesting thing here is, as we, as we can recall, in the earlier chapters, Jacob is kind of a mama's boy. He's kind of like a... He's, re he's really soft because they kept comparing him to his brother who was very rough, rugged. He was a hunter. He was, you know, and uh, Jacob kind of adhered, you know, was at his mother's hip. And they kind of explained it as Esau was, Jake, was Isaac's son, but Jacob was Rebekah's son. So it was kind of interesting. And then it's funny. Um, it was funny how Jacob, once he saw Rachel, he just kind of tossed the, the, the lid off of the well after he had a discussion with the guys saying like, yeah, this is not the time where, where we normally, um, you know, this is the time where we water the flocks. However, we got to gather them all. And Jacob said, bump that noise. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and roll it off. And in this manner, like Jacob is acting in a very assertive way. And it's kind of a jab at his own father because remember, uh, Isaac had to, uh, uh, is it Isaac? No. Um, the Isaac's father had to send his servant to go get him a wife. However, Jacob's actually doing it himself. It's like once he saw her, he kind of like, he kind of, you know, hulked out and, you know, grabbed his nuts and, you know, kind of, you know, did his thing. Um, and he actually watered the flock. And, but in his parents' case, his mother actually did it. So Dennis Prager actually wrote in his book that this was probably like a flirting tactic. Um, it seemed to work out for him, as we were going to see later on. But, um, but it, what was interesting and uh, what was interesting in Dennis Prager's book, and I probably would not have gotten this, um, but I did think it was weird, even though like LeBond does not have a very good reputation in the Bible. He seems very very weaselly you know he seems very um materialistic so 
in uh, Dennis Berger's book, he wrote, uh, he mentions a Jewish commentator by the name of Rashi. And Rashi states, uh, once learning that Jacob was his uh, sister's son, he embraced him thinking that he had money on him. And if we can recall, when, uh, when Rebecca was, um, was propositioned by the servant, he came with like treasure and jewelry and, and, you know, camels and all this other stuff. So he had a, a, you know, a presence of wealth, but in this case, Jacob doesn't. So he runs up to him and hugs him thinking, you know, he might have, uh, you know, he might have some little coins on him. Kind of like, if you guys remember, uh, Johnson family vacation, the cousin who kept yelling Ken folk and he just kept grabbing on people or, and welcome home, Roscoe Jenkins, you know, Mike Epps character, you know, he was like, yo, anytime you, you, you meet up with him, you got to check your pockets. That's kind of like how LeBon is, you know, it, it seems it doesn't do him any favors, but you know, LeBon is, is he's really much going to be, uh, talked about a lot more in the, in these coming chapters. So LeBon said, Surely you are of my own bone and flesh. And he stayed uh, with him for a month. Uh, then Laban said to Jacob, should you, my relative, serve me for nothing? Tell me, what, uh, what should your wages be? And pretty much it's kind of like, all right, bro, you, you ain't come with nothing. You ain't come with no camels. You ain't come with no coin. You ain't come with nothing. So guess what? I'm going to put your little ass to work. But I'm not going to make a servant out of you. I'm not going to make a slave out of you. You're like, I'm going to pay you. So we, that's kind of an a interesting, interesting thing. And Dennis Breger talks about that. So moving on. Okay. Now, Laban had two, sis, two daughters. Uh, the name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful and in form and appearance. Uh, Jacob was in love with Rachel. So he said, let me serve you for seven years uh, for Rachel, your younger daughter. Laban said, it's better that I give, uh, give her to you than I give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked for, Rachel, worked for Rachel seven years, yet in his eyes, it was like a few days because his love for her. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are completed. So I guess we're going to fast forward seven years now. So I may go to her. So Laban gathered all the men of the place and prepared a feast. When it was evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her out to him and brought him out to her and uh, brought him out to him and went to her. Laban also gave her Sapella, his female servant, uh, to his daughter Leah as a female servant. Now, pretty much, like I said, Laban is a swarthy piece of shit. He, so pretty much, they, when they're talking about wages, you know, Jacob sets his price. He says, look, I, you don't need to pay me. I, I, I want Rachel. And Laban's like, well, okay, all right. So what, what's the terms? Then they agreed on seven years, but now the seven years is up. And Laban pulls a, a you know, okie dokie and, 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 you know, pulls out um, Leah, which, you know, if I was Jacob, I'd be pissed. You know, that's like, you know, the missus, you know, she has a sister who I love dearly. My sister-in-law is amazing. 
However, I'd be pissed if, you know, I'm marrying or my goal is to marry the missus and then their dad is like, well, I know you, you know, I know you want to marry my youngest daughter, but, uh, you know, you got to take, uh, you got to take the older one. I'm like, mm. that's not to say anything wrong with my sister-in-law. She's amazing, but nah, 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 champ. But, uh, Dennis Breger writes in his book that the Jewish Bible or like the Torah, the, Ta- the Tanakh and, you know, the, the, you know, the Old Testament, they don't shy away from sex at all. They don't shy away from sexuality. They don't shy away from none of that. Like, in fact, they embrace it and they understand that human sexuality is a part of life. And this passage uh, that we talked about with Leah and Rachel was a was a flat out like indication that a woman's looks matters. Shout out to episode one where we said you're average at best. Um, if you guys haven't heard that, please go back and listen to episode one where we did an interview on Kevin Samuel's average at best. We kind of explained it, but however, now the Bible backs us up. So, and, it, and the interesting thing was they said that Leah, Leah's eyes were delicate. Now, Dennis Prager acknowledges like it could, it could be, it could mean two things. It could mean either she has poor eyesight, which they probably, I highly doubt. It's not like they had, you know, eye doctors back then. Or it could have been like she, she had a delicate look. Like she was, you know, she was pretty. However, they emphasized that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So not only was she facially beautiful, you know, Rachel had a body on her, you know. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's, it's very... Uh, it's very apparent. And Dennis Breger writes, writes more so in his book about the feminine uh, attributes. Because if we look around in nature, um, the male species is always the most beautiful for the most part. They either have different colors, you know, they have, they have to go through um, changes, you know, to show their dominance. Uh, you know, like uh, it's, it's always the men attracting the women. Um, even though women can pick and all this other stuff, the men are always different. Like the men are always the more attractive ones. However, in the human species, the women are the more attractive species. That's not to say that men aren't attractive. That's not to say that men, that a looks of a man doesn't matter to a woman because they do. But in, in an amorphic um, society, or species is typically the males that have the most color, the most character, you know, the women are kind of like bland. However, in our species, the women are, have more of the physical attributes outside of like, you know, other than size and muscle and all this other stuff, even though for men, that is a, that is an attractive marker for women, you know, breast, you know, legs and all hips and, you know, eyes and, and beautiful like facial features and stuff like that. You know, and as we said in the average at best, you know, men, we don't wear makeup. You know, if you're balding, you're balding. If you're, you know, if you're ugly, you're ugly. But however, men also have other attributes, you know, wealth and all this other stuff that that is a sign of attractiveness. Uh, just because, you know, the, the, the needs of men and women are, women are different. You know, beauty is a sign of health. Um, you know, typically the more beautiful, the more physically appealing you know that is a that is a carnal signal to us that that person can 
bear offspring or have good offspring uh, versus a man, our resources are more attractive. But uh, even in Dennis Prager's book, he says uh, appearance is also important to women. So let me see if I can find that passage. Um, He writes, all right. The extent of which uh, female beauty matters is a painful and unfair fact of life. So much so, let me adjust my mic real quick, excuse me. So much so, some people refuse to acknowledge it. They prefer to believe that, um, believe what really matters is the inner beauty of a woman. And of course, uh, that is most that is what most matters in defining a human being, male or female. But we live in a physical world. And in a physical world, female physical beauty matters. Male looks also matter. But among humans, as an opposed, as an opposed to, say, peacocks, like I talked about earlier, um, it is the female that is visually attractive to the male. And it is obviously the first thing about a woman a man notices. For that matter, it is often the first thing about a woman that other women notice. So a man who loves a woman only for her beauty doesn't love her. Uh, those relationships are doomed to end sooner rather than later, often sooner. But well-meaning parents and well-meaning societies do well. Um, uh, well-meaning societies do young women no favor by denying the importance of looks and attracting a man. And a woman does neither, uh, neither uh, herself nor her marriage a favor if she denies the importance to her husband and therefore their marriage and her trying to remain physically attractive. So, uh, matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and read this. If I may offer, and this is Dennis Prager uh, writing, if I may offer a personal example, my late mother and father had 70 years, uh, have 73 love, love affairs. Whoa. Had a 73-year love affair. <laughs> I misread that. One of many reasons was uh, my mother aimed to look beautiful for my father every day of their marriage, of their married life. She took care of herself and put on makeup, styled her hair, wore beautiful clothes every day. Due in no small part of her efforts, she retained her beauty until the day she died at the age of 89. It was often countered that men's looks are also important, but they are rarely as important as a man's personality, masculinity, brains, power, wealth, and attracting a woman. The power of the visual in men is simply far greater than the power of the visual in women. The fact that physical attractiveness is not dis- uh, distributed at all equally as it, was, as it wasn't between Rachel and Leah uh, is one of the many built-in unfair features of life. Along with most women and, and many men, I wish it were otherwise, but the Torah never denies reality. It does, however, subtly invokes the reader, the reader's sympathies for less attractive sister with its comment about her soft eyes and in the melancholy depiction of Jacob's greater love for Rachel. Now, I, I'm just going to let you guys know this. I did not plan to 
to do uh, the Kevin Samuels, uh, you know, uh, uh, average at best and, and coincide with this, it just happens to work out that way. Because, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, I decided to take a break um, from doing the show, doing the Bible series. So, you know, everything kind of worked out. But Dennis Prager had a really good point, And I'm glad I did the Kevin Samuels. For, if you, for those of you that do not know who Kevin Samuels is, please YouTube Kevin Samuels. Watch his videos. Kevin Samuels is an image consultant. And he gets caller after caller after caller. You know, of women who uh, want a high value man. However, and, and largely his callers are black women. But when he gets down to it, he says, uh, you know, men come to the table. If you want a high value man, he comes to the table with wealth. What do you come with? You know, he, you know, you're, uh, I hate to say it, but a lot of these women now today are obese. They, they don't work out. They don't take care of themselves. They think just because. They have big tits, a big ass, and they slap some makeup, some fake hair on that, you know, it's good to go. Like, you are the prize. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, but also, if we go back to talking about Rebecca, Rebecca was also physically beautiful. However, Rebecca also had a good personality. They did not say anything about Rachel's personality right here. They just said she was beautiful in form and in appearance. So, you know, it's just interesting um, how society, you know, we, we've gotten so far away from gender norms. Um, you know, I, my mom, I can remember my mom always, you know, doing her hair, you know, making sure she wore the perfume. And, you know, my stepdad, he always got her, you know, he always bought her nice things, you know, because he, you know, her looking good was also important for him. And, you know, even, you know, even my wife, the missus, you know, she, she looks good for me every single day and she tries her best, you know, to stay in shape, you know, to, to do uh, her hair, do her makeup. And it's, you know, and not to say anything bad, but my, my woman is, is she's beautiful in appearance and, and informed to me. And it's also, it turns me on even more that when we do go out, oh, she is turned up to the nines. She is, he baby but it's you know it's interesting how women today are like it or leave it this you know or they they wear weaves all the time instead of taking care of their actual hair they you know they cake themselves up and makeup in it to a point where it's just not attractive you know and then they let themselves go like it's like if you want to be able to keep a man or get a man you know just stay in shape do something take care of yourself you know men yeah Men got to stay in shape too. However, however, if you're staying in shape, but you ain't got no money, bruh, you like the need for eye candy for women isn't really a big thing. You know, I, I've seen women who, you know, who have men that, that have money and they cheat on them with the good guy, but they, they marry the good guy or marry the good looking guy, the, the Brad or the, the Jim Rad, the guy with the surfer body. And they're not happy. Like he's just very vague and bland as a person because he's so focused on his physical. So I really liked how Dennis Prager said if for men, it's, you got to come with, with a lot of things. Like you got to come with 
masculinity. You got to, you know, you got to be in shape. You got to, you got to have a good head on your shoulders if you want to have a successful relationship or if you want to just be appealing to people, even to men, you know, men respect power, you know, but power is not only physical, it's also intellectual. It's intellectual power. You know, it, it's wealth power, you know, people, you know, even, even though Donald Trump's now no longer going to be our president as of, you know, the 20th, but people try to make fun of Donald Trump, like saying, oh, you're old, you're fat, you're this, you're that. Well, keep in mind, Donald Trump wasn't always old and fat, you know, but as you get older, your body tends to give. And however, you got to have something else on top of it, which in Melania's case, it was Donald Trump's money. It was his power. It was his wealth. So call it what you want. But, you know, even Kevin Samuels, like, you can either have a big dick or you can have money. You know, you can either, you know, it's either or, you know, you got to have something. So, but for women, it's, it's very simple. Just look good. Look good and have a good personality. Men don't care about your money. Men don't care about your education. Men don't care about what kind of job you have. Because trust me, George Clooney married a waitress. So, and George Clooney got all the money in the world. For at least in my eyes, he does. He got way more money than me. But just keep that in mind. And this, I'm just going to give you guys, you know, because I can't wait. I'm very impatient. This chapter is very sexual in a way it's, it's going to be very interesting so we're going to move on so when it was morning behold there she was leah so he said to laban what is this you've done to me man i added the man part wasn't it for rachel that i worked with uh, i worked with you so why have you deceived me laban but laban said it's not done in our place it is not so done in our place to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the, bri- the bridal week for this one. Then we'll give you the other for work that you've done for me. Another seven years more. Now, <sighs> yeah, I'd be pissed, like I said. Uh, it, Dennis Prager writes, LeBon doesn't seem particularly enthusiastic about the match. He con- his comments implies nothing positive about Jacob. He is simply a better choice um, of, uh, than a non-family member of his future. Uh, that's when he talked about um, it's better to give Rachel to him. Uh, then he also said, uh, verse 29, uh, chapter 29, verse 20, uh, Jacob served another seven years for Rachel. Uh, served seven years for Rachel and it seemed to him but a few days yada yada this is more of a romantic sentence uh, and we're going to fast forward alright uh, the modern reader it is difficult to understand how Jacob have failed to realize he was sleeping with Leah rather than Rachel uh, so this kind of echoes the fact that uh, you know that they kind of veiled um they veiled uh, Leah like uh, like Rebecca. That's probably their custom. So Jacob probably just you know ecstatic. You know probably just went and went for the goods. But um, that he was sleeping with Leah rather than Rachel. But it was a primitive time and place. Presumably at night in the pitch of dark, the tent was in was in no way illuminated. Jacob was simply had no way of seeing his wife's face. Nevertheless, it is still hard to understand how Jacob 
could spend an intimate night with one of two sisters and not know which one she was, if only by voice. Yeah, true. But, I mean, you know, when you're hot and horny, you know, your your mental faculties kind of go. One can imagine Leah minimized her speaking just because... Uh, just as Jacob minimized speaking when he deceived his father. Yeah, this is true. So Jacob's getting his just desserts for a different reason. Also could not see uh, when she did speak. Jacob might have said, uh, paraphrasing his father, the voice of Leah. Yeah. Uh, but there was an additional explanation. Jacob was likely inebriated. Yeah, true. Because I know most wedding nights, people are drinking. Uh, there was two reasons to believe. Uh, one of one is that the Hebrew word feast with which is mishta, M-I-S-H-T-E-H, as I said, my Hebrew is bad, alludes to in the verse 22 comes from the Hebrew word to drink, shatah. And undoubtedly, there was a good deal of drinking in Le, at Laban's feast 2000 years ago, Roman Jewish history. Historian Josephus wrote, Jacob was deluded by wine and the dark. A number of scholars pointed out that the last time the Torah used the daughters of Lot, who had sexual relations with their inebriated father. This story has long captured people's imaginations and have been applied to other areas in life. For example, writer, author, uh, Kressler, a former communist who eventually became an anti-communist, offered a powerful take on this text. And, uh, okay, uh, I served the Communist Party for seven years and the same length of time Jacob tended uh, Laban's sheep to win Rachel, his daughter. When the, uh, when the time was up, the bride was led into the dark tent. Only the next morning did he discover uh, that his adores had been spent on not the not on the lovely Rachel, but on Leah. Uh, I wonder whether he ever recovered from the shock of having slept with an illusion. Yeah, I mean, and, and how like and look, fellas, like how many times have you guys been to a you know been to a club, been to a bar, been to an event where you got pissy drunk and. You know, you wake up next morning and the chick that you thought you that was hot, you know, you woke up and you like, ugh. you know, beer goggles. This is this is ancient beer goggles. So, uh, Kessler, like Jacob, had worked seven years in the illusion of the communism, Jacob being tricked by Laban in the darkness of night and his uh, con consequent marriage to the sister that he did not desire is another of many genesis examples of what goes around comes around you goddamn right uh he was tricked because he could not see just as he tricked his father leah too undoubtedly harbored an illusion that she could make jacob love her during that during that night and so I think that goes back to the verse where they talked about Leah's eyes. She had delicate eyes. And as we're going to see in, uh, in the rest of this chapter and the next chapter, Jacob just does not love Leah. And Leah tries her damnness. She tries very hard to get Jacob to love her. 
so um so Jacob did as he uh, Jacob did he also completed this one bridal week uh I think I skip yeah no so Jacob did and he also completed this one's bridal week then he gave him his daughter Rachel his female servant her his female servant Bella to be a servant for her Jacob also went to Rachel and indeed loved Rachel more than Leah. He served with him yet another seven years. So 14 years, uh, Jacob had to serve his uncle. And if you guys didn't pay attention, they mentioned Zeppla and Bella. And Zeppla and Bella, the reason why they named those names is going to be very important in this next chapter. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. So we're just going to move on. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm reading like two things at one time. <laughs> so yeah. And, and Dennis Prager, clarifies um in that last part that we that we talked about that Laban gave Jacob uh Rachel off off bucks like literally the next day when they had their altercation uh many people thought that Jacob had to wait another 7 years to get Rachel however once he complained like look dude you tricked me this is not the one that I wanted you know like give me my woman and pretty much uh he he pretty much married her like the next day. Jacob married uh, Rachel only one week after marrying Leah. Uh, the seven additional years. So this is like another seven and seven. So he married her exactly seven days after marrying uh, the other one. Seven additional years was the amount of time Jacob had to commit to work for Laban, uh, not wait to marry Rachel. Jacob married uh, married sister sisters in one argument for antiquity. Of the Torah, later the Torah uh, law expressly prohibits this practice. So pretty much, we're we're talking about polygamy. Okay, so we're moving on to the next part. Rivalry continues with uh, wives. Now Adonai saw Rachel was unloved, so he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben because she said, for Adonai has seen my affliction. Surely now my husband will love me. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to a son and said, for Adonai heard that I, ha that I am hated. So he's given me this one also. And she named him uh, Simeon. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to a son and said, now this time, my husband will join himself to me because I've given birth to three sons for him. For this reason, he was named Levi. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to a son and said, this time I praise Adonai. For this reason, she named him Judah. Then, uh, then she stopped having children. So she had four kids before... Before it pretty much stopped. Uh, is it four or five? No, she had, 
Yeah, she four. So she had four kids. So pretty much like this kind of echoes like the disadvantaged wife, you know, like um uh like of of Hagar, you know, like pretty much uh let me backtrack for a second though. One would think why would why would uh Leah be getting pregnant if Jacob just did not want her? Now in the Bible they talked about um you know, wives also have rights over their husband. Once you're married, you know, you cannot deny your wife sex. If she wants sex, you got to give it to her. Which for men, you know, we talk about, man, well, why? You know, that, that man bullshit, you know, I, like, I would never deny, like, sex is sex. I'm going to give it to her. However, we all go through rocky times. We all go through bad patches. You know, we're just not attracted to one another. However, it is your it is your marital duty as a husband. You know, if your wife wants a dick, give, you got to give it to her. But it's interesting because Leah is doing all this. She She's trying to get Jacob's attention. She's trying to get his love. She's trying to win him over. Because in at least in this time period in, in humanity, having kids is a very important thing, especially having sons. You know, having, daughter, having daughters was important, but having sons was very important because your sons pretty much carried your legacy. As we saw, you know, uh, earlier, you know, when we talked about Isaac and, you know, and, you know, and everything else, like, you know, it's the sons that carry the legacy. So, and Jacob, you know, I'm pretty sure it's important, you know, that he has, you know, has, uh, he has a son. So Dennis Prager writes about the, you know, the, how the Bible permits polygamy, but it also in every instance depicts polygamous marriage as an unhappy marriage. The Bible assumes this is almost always the case. Deuteronomy 21, 15 begins, if a man has two wives, one loves the other, one, one loved and the other unloved, literally hated. No husband in the Bible loves two wives equally. Uh, and you see Samuel uh, 1, 4 through 6, another example of an unhappy polygamous marriage. One learns moral ideals not only from the Torah's laws and principles, but at least as much, at, as much from the Torah and the Bible later stories. It is a, testim- is a testimony to Jacob's good character, character, that he fulfilled his seven-year obligation even though he was given Rachel as a wife after just one week. Now, uh, Dennis Prager goes on to name to explain the names. So Reuben uh, means see a son, and um, the name Simeon comes from the Hebrew word Shema, which means hear. His name, in, in effect, to... Uh, was heard as in God heard. Uh, the Hebrew translation uh, uh, to Levi uh, here is attached, from which Leah derived the name Levi. She still yearns for Jacob's love. Now, uh, and in Dennis Prager's book, his translation is different. Uh, she conceived again and bore a son and, and declared, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. So it's kind of like at this point, she kind of just gave up in a way. And he said, at this point, Leah appears to have given up on Jacob's love. Now she 
just praises God and forgiving her children, specifically sons. Her intent to do to do uh, what unhappy wives mothers have done throughout history. She will concentrate her emotions on her children. The ideal is for a mother and father to center their emotional lives on one another, not their children. Uh, that is the best for them and for their children. But that doesn't always happen, either because the love between the parents is missing and because one of the parents, often the mother, is more interested in focusing the energy and attention on the children than one of the other spouse, who, uh, who being an adult, is erroneously thought to be less in need of attention. Then she stopped bearing. Uh, we don't know why, but the perp, but perhaps Jacob, in effect, to appease the Baron Rachel, ceased for a time uh, cohabitating with her. That may be why she seemed to have given up hope on Jacob uh, would ever love her. One could surely cry for Leah, even while acknowledging she participated in a nasty deception and intended to steal the love of her sister's life. So, and this is why I said I really like this chapter because it really hits on a lot of points. You know, I see, and I, many of us can see when, you know, men who deal with multiple women, you know, I've seen friends where they've had children with other women and they get a new girl, you know, they, they don't marry them. They get a new girl and pretty much the mother kind of just, you know, she, it's painful. You know, she oftentimes single moms like pour their love and their attention into their children instead of their relationships. And we see that a lot today. I, I see it all the time, which is why I tell dudes, do not date single mothers. I'm sorry. Just don't because the love that you're looking for, you know, you're you're coming into a ready-made situation. And that's that doesn't mean like she can't love you, she won't love you, but however, she if she has a if she has a child with someone else, you know, her love is gonna be for her child. You're always gonna play second fiddle. Nine times out of ten, trust me, I've taken I've had that a similar experience. You know, you're always gonna be you're always gonna be like Number two, the kid will always be number one, you know, especially when you're dealing with with a uh, with a single mom, you know, versus a single dad. You know, they men typically because we operate differently. We children, we more so take care of children. You know, we don't really, you know, uh, fathers do invest in their kids a lot. However, when you know when you have a woman, it's kind of it's different. Men and women are different when it comes to parenting. But, you know, you do feel for Leah, you know, but however, as Dennis Prager says, like she participated in, in a, in, in deceit. So she's kind of getting her just desserts. However, you know, however, Jacob is too. So this, this whole passage is talking, is talking about karma. You know, Jacob got tricked just like he tricked his father, just like he tricked his brother. So he got his just desserts. You know, Laban, you know, yeah. Laban's trying to trick Jacob, and we're going to see how he, how that comes back and bites him in the ass later on. But so does, you know, so does Leah. Leah participates in it, and she never finds love, really. 
she's just, you know, she she's just there. And it's kind of sad to see, and I, and I see it all the time, you know. I, when women who chase after men and they they just, they, they, they do it with ill intent, you know, they don't come with anything or they, they, you know, like the girl who on average at best, she's like, but my body though. And she offers nothing. So you're chasing something that you, that you don't understand and you're not going to get, you know, as harsh as it sounds, but you know, but, and, but like Leah, Leah just turned, she just said, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm going to focus on God. Focus on my kids and how many single moms do we be seeing in church or in places around around town, you know, where they be like, oh, my kids are the only thing that matters to me. You know, my kids come first, you know, and especially that's really toxic to a relationship, especially if you're married. So we're going to move on. Chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she bore no children for Jacob, Rachel was jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob. Give me sons. If there are none, I'll die. But Jacob became furious with Rachel and said, Am I instead of God, uh, the one who withheld uh, from your... Yeah, let me read that again. Am I instead of God, the one who withheld from you the fruits of your womb? So this kind of tells us that Jacob is banging Rachel but she's just not getting pregnant and as we said you know God locked her womb up um so she said here's uh, here's my maidservant Bella go to her and let her give birth on my knees so that from her I may also build a family then she gave her uh, maidservant to uh, her maidservant Bella to him for a wife as we've already discussed this back when we talked about Abraham Sarah and Hagar and Jacob went to her, uh, Bella, became pregnant, and gave birth to a son for Jacob. So Rachel says, God has judged my cause and also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she named him Dan. Then Rachel's female servant became pregnant again and gave birth to a second son for Jacob. So she said, I've surely wrestled greatly with my sister. Also, I've won. So she named him Nephtali. So, ooh, yeah. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Prager kind of talks about how the, the, the childish nature of, of Rachel. Uh, within the Jewish life, there has also been an agreement and disagreement with, uh, with Rachel's views. On one hand, the Talmud notes commonly held views of childishness as a form of death. Oh, childlessness, sorry. Childlessness as a form of death. And, on, and as the classic 1902 Jewish encyclopedia noted, to be without child is regarded, to, is regarded as the greatest curse. On the other hand, the Bible itself assures the childless that their lives are indeed precious and that God will profoundly compensate them. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give my house and within my walls a memory and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name 
which will not be cut off. Isaiah 56, 4 through 5. So, uh, so he also writes, uh, Rabbi Isaac Ar- Arama, a 15th century Spanish rabbi known by the name of, known by the name of his Torah commentary, Akadak uh, Yitzchak, I don't know. <laughs> taught there are two words for two words in Hebrew for women or for woman, which denotes two purposes. First, she is called uh, Isha, woman, uh, a being of whom was taken from man in Genesis two uh, twenty three, and who, like man, can advance in intellect and moral realms. And second, Shava, Eve referring to the first woman and hence the mother of all living things, Genesis 3.20. A being who, unlike man, is able to bear children. A barren woman is nonetheless capable of living a purposeful and fulfilling life as a man and therefore should not be considered and should not consider her life worthless if she cannot have children. Her life is, is every bit as meaningful and worthwhile as that of a childless man. In other words, if a childless man can lead a meaningful life, so can a childless woman. Um, thus, uh, the rabbi invokes a verse cited from Isaiah and then adds, Rachel was no more dead because she was childless uh, than Jacob uh, could have been if he were childless. Of co- and I'm just going to stop reading there because as we see, like Rachel was a shepherdess. She knows how to get money. She knows how to do things. But and I'm, this is where I'm gonna put my my little two cents in. Um, it's sometimes like it still doesn't talk about the the unhappiness that's that's not felt. You know, the, oftentimes when we when we lack something, we kind of fill it with something else. So okay, all right. Uh, keep reading. I'm going to read. So give me a child or I'll die. Uh, a tragic irony that while giving birth to a second son that Rachel dies. Okay. Wait, what? Wow, I jumped the gun on that one. See, this is why, like, Dennis Prager's books are amazing. All right, so of course a woman who wishes to have children but cannot, does not compare herself to a childless man, to childless men, but women who have children, but to women who have children. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and that, to be sure, can be painful. It would be dishonest to deny children can vastly enrich a person's life. It would also be dishonest to deny that children do not necessarily enrich a person's life. Many children bring great pain to their parents. Yeah. Nevertheless, the notion if a person does not have a child, he or she is essentially dead and intellectually and morally and religiously absurd. It would mean that if if we have no children, all the good we do in, is worthless and all the love we experience is pointless, that nothing short of a child, not even God, let alone a spouse, friend, work, religion, services of, of others, passion makes life meaningful. Uh, Nihama Lebowitz, uh, one of the greatest Bible teachers of the 20th century, had no children. It is therefore particularly interesting to read her take on Rachel's words. Give me children or I shall die. Leibowitz is not, is not sympathetic. 
this was a treasurable reputation, uh, repudiation of her function, a flight of her destiny and purpose, shrinking the duties imposed on her, not in virtue of her being a woman, but in virtue of being a human being. All proceeding notwithstanding, having children biologically uh, through adoption should be a high priority in people's lives. The increasing trend of the Western world not to have children is a national death wish. So many men and women in the West and others developed countries are choosing not to have children that some nations' populations are in steep decline. Unless their birth rates are reversed, some nations will ultimately disappear unless the vast numbers of people from other nations and cultures are brought in, in which case those nations will still disappear. They will be replaced with another nation. And undersupply of children also crushes nations' economies because there are too few people to help support the older generation. One, on the personal level, choosing not to have children is often a choice not to mature. Yeah. Nothing matures people like marriage and raising children does. Regarding Rachel's plea, give me children or I shall die, Hera Kushner notes the tragic irony that it is while giving birth uh, to her second son that Rachel dies in Genesis 35, 16, 20. Spoiler alert. So, so, um, this is why I love Dennis Prager's books. Like, his commentaries are just amazing. Like, yes, um, it's unfortunate. Like, some women can't have children. And to say a woman without children is just, you know, is, is meaningless. However, it's, it's what meaning, you know, that person brings to their life, man or woman. However, he does, he does not shy away from the fact that, excuse me, he does not shy away from the fact that in the West, uh, in many developed nations, people are having less children. You know, it, and he does say that choosing not to have children is, shows a lack of maturity or not wanting to mature because nothing grows you up faster than having a child and getting married. And I will say, I agree with that. You know, I, I, oftentimes when we hear people talk about, I don't want to have kids, it's because they want to do things, you know, they want to, they want to, um, I want to travel the world. If I have a kid, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't, how, like, how childish is that? How immature is that? You know, like, that's like having a child doesn't mean you can't do something. It just means you probably can't do it right now, but you still have the rest of your life to live. And, and I like the fact that he added that not having kids is an impact on society because who is there to take care of the elderly people? Um, if we, if we look at a lot of people, uh, immigrants who come to this nation, a, a lot of them, no matter what country they come from, they all take care of their parents. However, in, in America, you know, we see people who don't have kids, you know, they live on their own and they typically die alone, you know, with their pets, you know, and Kevin Samuels has said that, you know, if you, if you don't humble yourself, like if you want, if you want children, you got to humble yourself. You got to, you got to come correct and, or you might as well just get yourself a dog and die alone. And that's, and, and that's honestly why people got pissed at Kevin because 
he said the, the the fact that he said you'll die alone. As harsh as it sounds, it's true. People are dying alone every single day. You know, I have an aunt, a great aunt, my grandmother's sister. She did not have children. Hell, she thinks she's Tina Turner and she's out here. She's like in her 70s trying to date younger men. She ain't never had a child. Like when she, like she will die alone. No one is going to be able to take care of her unless the family steps in. However, everybody's having their own children. Everybody is, you know, like, why would I, logically speaking, like, why would I take care of my aunt when I have my own mother to take care of? You know, like, I, my mom's going to come first. I'm sorry. You know, I, I can't stop what I'm doing. I can't, you know, stop taking care of my kids when I have them, you know, and, and stop taking care of my mom because you chose not to not to have a kid you know and it's just sad that a lot of, a lot of women today they're putting off having kids to chase a career you know to chase education and then once they get there once they get to that that the the end of the road of their education and their career they're at the topest level possible like you know they're too old to have kids or it's high risk and then you know, they, they either adopt a kid and, you know, but they don't have a husband. A lot of times they don't have husbands. You know, it, it's, it's sad. It, it's really sad. And you, and I really appreciate how Dennis quantifies the impact that it has on our, on our economy because, you know, you don't really have anybody there taking care of the elderly because, uh, you know, our parents' generation chose not to have kids. So now Leah saw that. She stopped having kids, um, so she took Zelpa for her female servant and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Zelpa, Leah's female servant, gave birth to a son for Jacob. Leah said, how fortunate. So <laughs> she named him Gad. Then Zelpa, Leah's female servant, gave birth to a second son for Jacob. Leah said, how happy am I for a daughter uh, for daughters have called me happy. So she named him Asher. And it's funny because, like, I don't know. Like, Rachel and Leah just seem very petty. They, they, they seem very competitive. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. All right. Uh, and, and we see here, like, this is echoing Abraham again. And... Uh, okay. So her the bear on her knees. Uh, and place a newborn. Knees just oh, okay. So uh, interest. Let me see. Did I even get to that part yet? Uh. Yes, I did. So I kind of yeah, I, I got so caught up in everything. Um. So when they talked about um. Rachel getting on her knees, which was interesting because I, I, I found that I was like, I was kind of confused about that. So Dennis writes, in the ancient world, placing a newborn on someone's knees was a gesture of adoption because it was a sign of an altar. Or he just wrote in parentheses, altar. Uh, all right. Uh, now... Mm -hmm. 
So Dennis writes, uh, Bella conceived and bore Jacob's sons. Uh, four, four of Jacob's 12 sons were born through concubines. These sons were Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, were considered every bit as much of the tribe of Israel as the sons of Rachel and Leah. The fact that some were born to concubines rather than wives is irrelevant. Yeah, because those are still his kids. Rachel said, uh, God vindicate me indeed. Uh, he has heeded my plea and given me his son and named him Dan. Did I even get to that part? Yeah. All right. So, and he says, Dan means judge or vindicated. And then as we go down, seems that Rachel conceived a child to add to the hurt of the world that favored sons of every other wife and concubine. Jacob is bearing him a son, not just a child. Okay, that was by Hamilton. All right. And so uh, Gad, uh, she named Gad appears the name as a name of God of fortune and good luck. This pagan divinity is also mentioned in Isaiah 65, 11 and Sarna. All right. And so that was kind of interesting. What luck. <laughs> so how fortunate. So appears to be the name of God of fortune. Okay. Wow. So she named her son after a pagan God. Okay. All right. So uh, in the new day, Asher means fortunate or happy. Famous verse in, in Psalms 84, 5, uh, 84, 4 in Christian text uh, begins with the words, Asher Yoshevay uh, Vetecha, happy for those who dwell in your house. Okay. Um, so, and we're about to get to an interesting part. Uh, Sorry if I seem to be all over the place. But this part it was very interesting to me. So, and it, it uh, like, yeah, yeah, you'll see. Now, during the days of, of uh, during the days of the harvest, uh, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field, and he brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me some for Give me of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took my husband away? You'd also like to take my son's mandrakes. So Rachel said, that being so, let him lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Now, in the Bible, it says, verse 30, uh, 14, mandrakes or passion poises uh, or similar to love or lover. So I'm very confused about that. So is she asking, is Rachel asking Leah to sleep with her son? So I'm, I want to see what Dennis Prager says. Uh, where is, uh, all right. So once time wheat harvest, uh, uh, Rachel Rubin came for mandrake field. According to common ancient uh, superstitions, mandrake plants, had the power to exchange sexual desire and induce pregnancy. Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, was known as the Lady of the Mandrakes. Mandrakes were customarily placed under a bridal bed in Germany. And in the Song of Songs, the maiden tells her lover that she stored a fragrant mandrake for him. 
Furthermore, Dodi, the Hebrew word for my beloved, is similar to uh, Dudium or Dudium. Okay. D-U-D-A-I-M, the Hebrew word for mandrake. The Torah, however, ascribes no efficiency uh, to this plant because it prohibits superstition. Superstition, at its essence, is a form of idol worship in that it implies something other than God, such as a black cat, broken mirror, governs the world. So Reuben probably felt bad for his mother because she was the less desired wife. Oh, okay. So Reuben picked mandrakes because he felt sorry for his mother. So, uh, but she said to her, it wasn't enough for you to take my husband. Um, it has been said that when it comes to self-justification, everyone is a genius. For Leah to accuse Rachel to take Jacob from her was precisely the opposite. Was the case was opposite uh, was the case and was an extraordinary act of self-justification. It also manifests another common human trait, portraying oneself as the victim when one is in fact the victimizer. Yeah, because. Like, Leah, you, you played yourself, boo. Uh, so, as, so when they talked about promise he shall lie, um, as Numa Sarna explains, the Hebrew word shachav, lie with, or to lay, uh, when used in Genesis refers to sexual relations, never connotes a relationship or marital love. I'm pretty much just boning. Uh, but in... Irritably used in unsavory circumstances. Ooh. Rachel offers Leah one night of sex with her, mer- with her mutual husband, not a night of lovemaking. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. So Leah desires love above all else, but she clearly also desires more children. And despite her children uh, through Bella, Rachel was still desperate to become pregnant. Uh, so the sisters struck a deal with one another. Yeah, so, okay, so that verse actually makes a lot more sense because reading that in the Bible and not really getting any other references, I thought Rachel was trying to bone her nephew. Not gonna lie, <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, but however, reading Dennis Prager and he describes, you know, the mandrake and all the other stuff, you know, it makes more sense. All right, so when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come to me, for I've actually hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that very night. Moreover, God heard Leah, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. Leah said, God gave me my reward because I gave my female servant to my husband. She named him Ishachar. Or Issachar, Issachar. She named him Issachar, and Leah uh, became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. And uh, for Jacob, Leah said, God has presented me a good gift. This time, my husband will honor me, for I have borne six sons for him. So she named him Zebulun. Uh, after, afterwards, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dina. So let's figure out what Dennis has to say uh, about that. Uh, 
Wow, okay. Seems uh that was it. <sighs> Alright, so he the fifth son, though Rachel was one of was the one who ended up with supposedly pregnancy induced mandrakes, she was not the next one to become pregnant. The tour made it clear that magical formulas are powerless. Okay. Uh, the world is governed by God. See the language employed in verse 22, 24. And uh, so Ishakar or Sakar in both biblical and modern Hebrew words mean reward. All right. So the sixth son, uh, one would think that by now Leah would have realized that no, that no number of sons could induce her husband to fall in love with her. It is, in fact, of life, what invokes romantic love is somewhat mysterious, but whatever it is, it cannot be manipulated or controlled by human actions. Sometimes love can be rekindled when it has faded over time uh, and with life's vag uh, uh, vagaries. But for that to happen, it has, it has to have been there in the first place. Throughout history, people have tried to make others fall in love with them at no avail. Such, errant, such efforts guarantee only frustration, heartache, and should be consciously avoided. One of the keys to happiness is to accept reality. I love that he put that in there. One of the keys to happiness is to accept reality. In this regard, in the beginning of the uh, Serenity Prayers, uh, authored by American Christian theologian Reinhold Root Niber, 1892 1971, used the worldwide 12 step program for addicts, is acceptable uh, to this. I mean, is applicable to this. And so many others accept of life. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. All right. So after childbirth, the Torah uh, recounted the mother's explanation of the choice of that child. Only the daughter's name is not explained. Okay. This one good example of one's attitude affects how one approaches the Torah's narrative. Does the lack of elaboration in Dina's name reflect on the Torah as sexist? Or is the Torah simply describe a sexist, describing the sexist reality of existing in an ancient world where birth of a daughter is deemed worthy of only a brief mention. Uh, the strong and, and even heroic roles played by women in the Torah from the matriarchs and the daughters of Pharaoh and midwives who disobey Pharaoh argue a strongly later explanation. All right. So I, in in my mind, I'm gonna say that um, that them not naming Dina because she's had all these sons and they named her as the as the first daughter um, just kind of tells me, all right, your your luck has ran out. So I'm gonna continue reading. And God remember Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to his son. So she says, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph, saying, may Adonai add another son for me. All right. And. Okay, so. Uh, 
So the Hebrew word for Joseph means he will add, reflecting Rachel's desires for an additional son. He has just given birth to a son. She has just given a birth to a son and names him. Um, May the Lord add another son. Two reasons suggest themselves. She is in competition with her sister. And until the modern time, many children died at a very young age. Yeah, that's true. All right. So we're just going to go ahead and try to wrap things up because this part gets interesting. Jacob outwits Laban. Now it was after Rachel gave birth to Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away so that I, so that I can go to a place, uh, to my place and to my land. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you yourself now know my labor and that I have served you. But Laban said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, I've looked for good omens, and Adonai has blessed me because of you. Moreover, he said, name your price, I will pay it. Then he said, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock fared with me, for you have very little before I came. Ooh, Jacob is getting ballsy. And it has been busting at the seams in abundance. So Adonai blessed you with my every step. So now, uh, when I myself going to make something of my household? Oh, no. So now, when am I, uh, when am I myself going to make something of my household also? Then he said, what can I pay you? Jacob says, you don't need to pay me anything. If you do this one thing for me, I will shepherd your flock again and watch it. Let me pass, uh, pass through your flock today, removing every colorful spotted lamb. For there are very dark colored lambs among the sheep, as well as the colorful spotted among the goats. And that will be my salary. So tomorrow, my honesty will testify on my behalf when you come to check on my salary you agree to everyone that isn't colorful spotted among the sheep or dark colored among the sheep um, among the sheep with me it is stolen so Laban said all right may it be according to your word on that day he removed the colorful striped uh striped colorful billy goats as well as the colorful spotted goats everyone with white on it and every dark colored among the lamb, and when put them in the hands of his sons, then he put a three-day journey between them and Jacob while Jacob was shepherding Laban's remaining flocks. Oh, Jacob's getting shady. All right. Um, okay. So, pastor the flock, these animals, so Dennis writes, these animals were rare, meaning Jacob was asking only for a handful of bonds animals. All right. Uh, yeah, he doesn't really have yeah, much to say on this. Jacob didn't want monetary wages. He wanted to be paid in the one uh, commodity he knew he could manage and multiply. Yep. All right. So Jacob took fresh white po uh, poplar almonds, plain uh, tree branches, peeled away the white strips, uh, sections of them, exposing the whites of the branches. 
Then he sat the branches he had peeled in front of the flocks in the drinking troughs and watering channels where the flocks came to drink. Since they were in heat, they came to drink, and the flocks made it near the branches, and the flocks gave birth to striped, spotted, and colorful ones. Now Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flock toward the striped ones, as well as the dark-colored ones among Laban's flock. Uh, then he set aside a herd for himself and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the, flock, whenever the strong flock made it, Jacob put branches in the watering trough before the eyes of the flock uh, to have them mate near the branches. When, but when the flocks were sickly, he did not put branches down. So the sickly ones became Laban's and the stronger ones became Jacob. And the man grew exceedingly prosperous and had, a num and had numerous flocks among the female and male servants, camels and donkeys. Now, I have a lot of questions for that. So uh, in verse 30, 39, since the goats made it by the rods, the goats brought forth strip streaked and speckled and spotted young. That's how Dennis wrote it in his book. In the ancient world, it was believed the color of the rod by which the farm animals mated uh, would determine the color of the progeny. Although it is surprising to, to us today, the Torah devouts so many verses to flocks and rods. The, ex uh, the extent of the detail is further evidence of antiquity in the, of the Torah. It is obviously written at a time when these beliefs govern animal husbandry practices. All right, so that's going to wrap up. Um, that's going to wrap up today. Um, yeah, like I said, I hope you guys like that version. Uh, I know I did. Uh, that was one of my favorites because uh, it just seems like the drama in the Bible is always good. It's always entertaining. You know, just to see how these sisters were very competitive. And Dennis Prager's book gave a lot of input. Gave a lot and gave a lot of of connections to regular life. Like we said, we've seen how people who have multiple kids with different women and stuff like that, how much drama that brings. Um, but here in Jacob's case, like he's actually married to these women. And it just seems like Jacob is just a, uh, he's just a, a, a baby factory. Like he's just pumping out kids left and right. But it, 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 there's a lot of lessons here. You know, it, it, like, don't be deceptive on, on, on any account because Jacob was deceptive. He got deceived. Laban tried to deceive Jacob. Therefore, he got deceived. Like, Jacob set his ass up pretty good. Like, he left him with the sickly flock and he took, uh, he took some good ones. So, you know, like, the one thing I took away from this uh, was karma. Like, what goes around comes around in one way, form or fashion. And it, it was just, it, it, I, there was a lot of life lessons as we discussed. And it, it really, it really begs the question to, to how people treat one another and to love and marriage and stuff like that. Cause you, you, in a sense, you do feel bad for Leah in the story because she's just unloved by her husband. However, she only got a husband through ill-gotten means. She deceived him um, along with her father. And it just seems to be the theme. You know, uh, Laban tried to, tried to pretty much hustle Jacob. Uh, you know, Jacob had to learn how to man up. 
You know, he had to learn how to think and had to learn how to take charge and all this other stuff. You know, I like reading this without um without Dennis's uh you know uh uh input and research, you know, I kind of felt like you know, I felt bad for Leah, but at the same time I also felt like Rachel didn't really love Jacob because you never really heard about that. You know, and and that that's an interesting point because they never really talked about how they loved him. You know, yeah, Leah was seeking um, Jacob's love, but they never really talked about her actually loving him. You know, uh, I mean, you you could probably you could probably think that maybe she did love him because she just kept wanting his love and she was hungry and desperate for his love. But she learned a lot of lessons. But but maybe Rachel, the reason why her womb got locked up was because maybe it was because of Jacob deceiving his parents and deceiving his brother and maybe she just had to pay the price and to be a part of Jacob's lesson who knows you know it, it's a lot that goes into into these things but uh definitely like the children aspect because I'm at a place in my life where you know I like I soon I want to be having children of my own and you know, and, and just thinking about that and that aspect and, and thinking about my experiences with dating single moms, like, oh God. And I know some people out here, they date people with kids and some of them have great, you know, uh, great experiences. Like, you know, my mom had me, she remarried. Um, my, my mom, my stepdad, they have a great marriage. You know, my stepdad had kids before. Um, but like I said, men and women treat uh, children differently. And one thing that I, that I, that I did not like growing up, but however, I understand now is my mom did put her relationship with my stepfather before me. Like they, she made sure like they were good at the time as a kid, I did not understand that. You know, I felt, oh, I'm your son, you know, you know, why, like, how come I don't come first? And my mom had to explain, you know, and my mom's not a church going woman, you know, very much, but she had to, had to explain, like, my husband's going to come first because one day you'll grow up, you'll move out, and then what? I'm left with my husband, so I have to put him first. I have to work on my relationship with my husband first because when you leave, He's all I have until, you know, and you'll understand when you have kids. And now I've been out the house going on 13 years. How old am I? I'm 30. I left the house at 18. So about, yeah, I left the house at 18. I'm 30 now. My parents, my mom and my stepdad have been on their own. They, you know, they've been empty nesters for that long, about 12 years. So, and my mom is, you know, she's happy. My mom is really happy. And, you know, while my mom, you know, she does want me around, she, you know, she does want me to be there. However, my mom is still happy with the, with her husband. She's happy with her marriage. And that's really all I want for her. You know, and I see women who, uh, who, who don't have husbands and they have children and their children grow up and they leave and then they find new relationships. They're desperately clinging on to their kids. You know, they, they, they want to be in their children's business or they want to try to dictate their children's lives. They still want to try to mommy their children and, you know, and it's unfulfilling. And it's like, you know, if you find a man or find a significant other, you know, you'll be happy. 
find happiness. You know, don't don't worry about your kids. You know, like your kids will grow up and they will leave you. You know, and that's one of the things that I had to learn. You know, and I and I try to hope that that women with children, if they if they don't find men, you know, it's 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 kind of a sad sight. You know, uh, like it's it's a lot of them out there. It you'd be surprised at how like if you really stopped and watched and looked and saw how many women are out there who who have children with no man, no husband. Actually, no husband. I'm not going to say no man. No husband. You know, no one to to be their rock, to be their, you know, to be their ride or die or, you know, how whatever, you know, you want to insert there. Like, it is a sad sight to see. And it, and it does break my heart. However, it, to a degree, you did it to yourself. You know, it's, you got to figure out what about you. And, and, I, and I know, like, some circumstances... You know, where there's there's some women out there who lost their husbands, like their husbands have died and they can't let go. That I that I understand one hundred percent. I get that because trust me, me and the missus, we've had that conversation. I said, Look, if you were to pass before me, I would take a page out of my great grandfather's book because my great grandmother passed before him and I would never ever get married again. My great grandparents, they spent sixty years together. He never married again while he did have his female friends. You know, he had his children. And men are different. Like, men tend to, you know, men, men tend to, to take care of themselves. However, women, it, 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 it just feels different. It, it, it looks different, you know. And, and it is different. I see, I don't see too many dads that aren't, you know, that, you know, who lost a significant other or, you know, or just are estranged from their children's mother, like my dad. My dad, um, you know, he's he's not married. My dad's living his best life. He's like, every time I turn around, he's he's traveling, he's flying, he's doing all this and that. However, that's my dad. Like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'll take care of him. He's good. Like, he doesn't have to worry about anything. But my dad is living his best life right now. However, for women, you know, well, just go back on my dad. Most of the dads that I see, like my dad, um, they they focus on their lives. You know, yeah, they pop up in their kids' lives. They they help them out whenever they can. But you know, they it, it's just like, okay, kid, you got it, and and I'm just gonna go to po- I'm gonna go to 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 wherever, and I'm gonna find myself a young hot little thing to keep me entertained for a while. However, women, it it's just a little bit different. Like women don't seem to do that, or if they do. It's it's kind of like, you know, it's sad in a way. And I hate to sound sexist, but that's the reality of it. You know, women tend to, to care more about their children or to be a little too involved. But, you know, so anyway, that wraps up the uh, Bible Real Talk. Uh, we will see you guys again uh, next Saturday with episode uh, with chapter 31. And uh, we are gone. <laughs> Thank you.